Welcome, welcome my friends to another episode of Is That Really Legal with Eric Rubin. Today we're going to be talking to Andy Schneeflock. He is an actor you may have seen in a movie called Bridge of Spies. You may have seen him in a television or cable show called Orange is the New Black or several other projects. He's been in a lot of things. Uh, we've done a little work together, but he's also a close personal friend of mine for well over 10 years. He lives not that far from me, in fact, in Brooklyn. Um, he also has been a teacher for a long time as an acting teacher, specifically with respect to improvisation. And if you know anything, improv is a really important and useful tool in acting and, well, in life, frankly. It's all about saying yes to what shows up. And you would be wise to say yes to Abe's muffins. Abe's muffins are allergen-free, and they are a tasty snack, even during the toughest of times. They come in uh, lemon poppy seed and chocolate chip. Uh, they have pumpkin and apple cider flavors. They have cornbread that will knock your socks off. Look for them in all sorts of fine grocery stores and look for them online, too. It's Abe's muffins. If you have any questions about Abe's or about my show, go to isthatreallylegal.com and you can find a place to leave me questions, messages, what have you. Um, during difficult times, one of the best ways to get through them is to say yes and see what's next. Improvisation, which I've done quite a bit of myself, is a valuable tool, as I said, for everybody, not just actors. And I think you'll find that Andy Schneeflock is a really interesting and lovely man. He's done a lot of cool stuff. I think you're going to enjoy this conversation with him. Here's Andy Schneeflock. Andy Schneeflock, welcome to Is That Really Legal with Eric Rubin. I'm so happy to have you. Um, as I said in the intro, I've known you, you're a good personal friend for over 10 years. You actually were my best man. Uh, oh, yeah. Running, in case you forgot. And that, I don't know when this will be posted, but November 15th is our fifth anniversary. That was wow. five years ago. That was five years ago. And doesn't it Congratulations. seem- Thank you. Doesn't it, in a weird way, seem like it was both yesterday and 20 years ago at the same time? Yeah, that's exactly right. It feels simultaneously like both. Like, didn't that just happen forever ago? <laughs> that's a great way to put it. And I don't even know your wedding anniversary. I think it's in the summer, though, because you had right, an outdoor yeah. wedding. You had a block party, and you were perhaps unwittingly or uninterestedly, um, the impetus for my finally deciding to move back to New York. Because all my friends were here. I was in a relationship that didn't work on every level. And I couldn't come to your wedding because I couldn't, I, I couldn't rationalize it to the person I was with at the time to be oh, back wow. in New York again even though literally all my friends were gonna be at your wedding, including you and your lovely wife, who's gonna be a, a guest on this show too. Um, so I, I had a, 
This is still about me, shockingly. Um, I had a... It is your podcast. (laughs) Okay. That's fine, but you're my guest. So Uh, it's like like me making a whole bunch of pedophores and then eating them in front of you. (laughs) Well, I am the host. (laughs) Um, So what I... uh, uh, It was just... um, I I had a, a real just honest conversation with myself not the kind where you beat yourself up, but the kind of conversation was like, well, what do I want? Is this what I want? And I was like, no. And that was the, that was a very strong pivot point. Um, so well, I'm, 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 I, you know, you said wittingly or unwittingly. Uh, I mean, I'm so glad. I'm really, I'm really thankful to have had, you know, really like, uh, you know, no cheesiness or, or BS aside, like that kind of impact on someone's life that they were like, wow, I'm missing a really fun day with all of my friends. What am I doing? <laughs> it's, it's really true. You know, I talk about a lot of cool and interesting things on this bad podcast with a lot of cool and interesting people. But the reality is when it all comes down to it, if you're not having fun, what the hell are you doing? You know, you, I I think that some people, well, let's, this is a good segue to what you do. So you're an actor and an acting teacher. Mm -hmm. And what I love about the way you approach those things is at least as far as I can tell, and it wasn't always this way at that, you do not have a preference. They're both fun. I yeah. mean, work, I, I understand it's not a, a thrill a minute all the time, every second. There are challenges in both of those things. But even in the challenges, that's part of the fun of it, right? Yeah. I, well, t- for example, today I was, uh, I was teaching a class called Cultivating Character, where I was assigning different actors. I, I had met them over the course of weeks, and I would assigned them different pieces of material to work on to to really hopefully challenge them in a fun way as actors to do something that I think they would totally knock out of the park but they wouldn't normally be cast as um and uh and this you know it was interesting because I was seeing everybody's final work today and everyone did such amazing work and the class was supposed to end at three and I hadn't seen everyone's work yet. And uh, I was like, hey, you know, I I know that we're officially out of time and and some people have to go. I haven't seen everyone's work. If you can stay, great. Uh, If you're, if you can't stay, great. And then I realized I've actually run over time in a few of the classes. And I added, just so you guys know, I don't get paid extra. I'm doing this because (laughs) I like it. Like my time of being paid to do this is done. I'm here because I, I want I want to keep playing. So um, if you want to keep playing, you know, it's it's on me. <laughs> that's you know, that assignment reminds me, as you know, I also have been and occasionally still I'm an actor performer. And there's a place in the village, I think it's called Marie's Crisis. It's a piano yeah. bar. It's a piano bar where uh, it's very theatrical. Is it in the village or is it in Hell's Kitchen? Oh, crap. It might be in Hell's Kitchen. I don't remember. It's been a long time since I've been there. If you're listening... Well, it could have moved, too. uh, That's also true. 
If you're listening, write me at isthatreallylegal.com. You can go to the website and give me a message. Tell me where the piano bar is now. What's fun about it is it is a pretty raucous, over-the-top, dramatic place where a lot of musical theater people go to sing. They'll sometimes bring their own music. And there was at least one night a week where they did this event where you could sing songs that you would never be cast for. So, I mean, it, you know, obviously there are guys in musical theater who wanted to be the leading lady. Um, if you don't know that, I'm sorry to break it to you. And if you do know that, well, you know that. So, you know, someone will come in and sing The Little Mermaid and, you know, they'll be, they'll look like me. So then you have to transpose it. You know, I'm 59, I'm 6'3", ruggedly handsome, but I'm not a mermaid. Um, <laughs> and, but, but I like this idea of, you know, because I am 59, 6'3", also very New York metropolitan looking, I'm not... I'm very specifically cast. You are also very specifically cast. I know you work with agents and management who like you to do different things with your facial hair, depending on what's going on in the business. Um, but you have a look and I'll talk right. more about that later. And when it comes to film and television and commercials, and, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, look is a lot. I mean, talent is great, but if you would really have to blow them away to get them to change a part from a certain look to your look, because you may not even get in the door based on your headshot. I want to back up a second because we're going to, I'm going to get so into the biz like that. I want to back up because people should really get to know who you are. Um, not just because you're my friend, but yours is a really cool and interesting story. You did not start out your life in the greatest city in the world, New York. You were no. you were elsewhere. Where I I know the answers to these things, but some things I might not know. But I know I know some of this, but people don't know. So, where are you from, and what was that well, about? I'm from the second greatest city in the world, Saint <laughs> Saint Joseph, Missouri, um, which is a little town uh, about an hour north of Kansas City, where in the Midwest, where I'm from. We measure everything by how long it takes to get there. So if you ask me miles, I don't know. I just know St. Joe's about an hour north. Um, and that's how we say it, about an hour north. And, and do you say uh, like on a certain route, like on 75 or? I-29. I-29. Yeah. The 75 uh, goes right up, doesn't it? Or am I? Uh, I don't know. It's been such a long time. I, I feel like I'm, I'm a bad Midwesterner at this point. Because I've been in New York since... Uh, I've been in New York since 2002. Um, I, I was one of those, uh, so I had, you know, I was, like I said, born and raised in St. Joe. I got into acting when I was uh, very young and clearly knew I wanted to do it as a career at, a, at an early age. And so a buddy of mine had got accepted to Columbia Film School in Chicago. And he said, hey, I'm moving to Chicago. Do you want to move there with me? Uh, and I said, yeah, sure. So I lived in Chicago for about a year and I was there uh, when 9-11 happened. And uh, it wasn't long after 9-11, I, I told my parents, hey, I found the acting school I want to go to and it's in New York and I'm going to move there next year. And they right were where like, those planes hit the buildings and everybody. They were like, like, yeah, they were like, okay, uh, we, we support you. Uh, we love you and support. They really did. I mean, I'm sure I scared the hell out of them, but they were very, 
very supportive. And so I moved to New York uh, and I was, I remember them telling us when I went to school, I studied at the Atlantic Theater Company and uh, they told us we were the, I was in their conservatory class, which what that means is they have uh, a class that goes to them through the NYU program and then a class where you just go to their program directly. It's the same program. I just don't have the, the New York University component. Got it. And uh, so they said, you are the smallest group of people to ever come to our conservatory program. And they meant the least number. They didn't mean you were all like three feet tall. Yes, correct. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, you guys are tiny. By the way, I'm I'm confident I'm offending people with the 9-11 and the the little people stuff. Again, it's is that really legal.com. You can leave a message about what a terrible person I am. You will take, have to wait in line. <laughs> you'll take every message. You'll take a message from people who are like, tell me where Marie's crisis is. Tell me, tell me how much you hate me and how much I offended you. I admire you. You are you are a brave man, Eric. My life's too good to worry about nonsense. But yeah, <laughs> that's fine. Uh, so you came yeah. to New York, you're acting in an acting class. Now, yeah, so some schools don't let you do work while you're in school, meaning they won't let you do acting work. So right. you can't even go out to be cast for anything, right? That is true. Right. right. So when I was there for those two years, uh, they, they didn't say you couldn't, but they strongly encouraged that you don't audition, that you don't take work outside while you're, uh, you know, while you're immersed in, in their program. Um, and... While I was there, uh, there was one class where we kind of studied uh, Sanford Meisner's, the, the foundation of his moment work. And I had never been exposed to anything like that before in my life. And I kind of, I would say, became obsessed with what it meant to be in the moment scene after scene, take after take, night after night with the same lines, the same scene partner, the same blocking, and how can that possibly be different, be real, be alive? So I kind of went on a quest studying everything I could about acting and being in the moment when a teacher introduced me to the work of Ariel and Shia Kane, which is how you and I know each other, and their work is all about being in the moment and uh, it's not necessarily uh, acting based, but it was the best acting class I'd ever taken. And I was like, this is, I, I, this is the moment. I think I've discovered, I think I've discovered it. Um, <laughs> By the way, that, really acting, kind of, that teacher is Susan Finch, who's been on this show. That's right. And is also yeah. a dear friend of both of ours. She is, and she's she she changed my life with that invitation, and uh, and and my career as an actor because I I can confidently say that I you know when I go on sets because uh, I I do mostly TV and film these days. Uh, well, not these days right now as we're recording this podcast. COVID nineteen is still happening, uh, yeah. and a lot of TV and film is not happening while that's happening. Um, Uh, Just some of it is, but less of it. Regardless, when I've been on sets, it's amazing to me how I can have the same blocking. They call it on on TV and film. You you have to hit a specific mark and look a very specific place for the camera to get the shot that that the director wants. And I am able to do that 
consistently and it's also different each time. So to find this balance of hitting my marks, saying my lines, doing my bits, while also having it feel like it's the first time every time uh, has became, went from uh, an obsession to, that's just kind of how I work as an actor now. You know, it's interesting for people who aren't as familiar with really working as an actor, there are people who go to high school, they act in a show and they think, I really want to do this. And there is very much a lot of job when it comes to being an actor. And one thing that a lot of actors run into is you may do, you get cast in a show and it may not be the most important show ever, but it's a show that gets you your equity card, or, you know, your theatrical agent card or theatrical, excuse me, a union card. It might get you an agent. It might get you to meet other actors, whatever it is. It's the show you're going to do and you sign up for six months. And after doing a show for about two months, literally eight shows a week, because you have one night off and then you do two sets of matinees, um, you go in punching the clock and it can get wrote really fast um, if you are not making it new for yourself as you're talking about. I think it's a little easier having done all this stuff, having done film things, you know, depending on the director, some directors are famous for doing very few takes and some are famous for doing lots of takes, mm -hmm. but ultimately it's a take equals money because forget the fact that the video it used to be filmed, but the video is running and every actor there is getting paid. You're generally also paying for the location, the space, the union, uh, teamsters, the people doing the lights, everything just costs money and you're burning daylight. And so, to be able to produce on demand, whether you've done it 30 times or once, but to be able to be like, look, I'm going to be there now is incredibly valuable. Uh, it'll get you more work. And I think it's really worked well for you. Um, for people who don't know you, and I don't know if I'm going to be saying this in the intro or not, so if I said it, forgive me. Um, I think some of the first professional things I saw you in were you were in Orange is the New Black. You had a couple of episodes there. Um, you're probably most recognizable as being in Bridge of Spies, where even though you have no lines, you are a recognizable real-life character who is on the subway with Tom Hanks. And it is, you two are having a conversation without saying anything. And it's a fantastic couple of moments uh, in the film, and anybody I mention it to you knows who you are, based on oh, my wow. description. Oh, that wow. guy! Well, oh my I mean, gosh! So, first of all, you're the first and probably the only guest I'm going to have who has been directed by Spielberg and acted with Tom Hanks, and I'm going to milk that. So, <laughs> what let's was, milk it. Yeah, I, I we've talked about it, but I want other people to know about it. So, what was that like? You know, you, you mentioned before this segue, like it, that's my, my, uh, uh, my quest is like what I like to call it in this moment to, to find what it means to, to be in the moment, take after take and really be present with what I'm doing. That really supported me on that day. I mean, I had done TV, as you said, but I, I hadn't done a movie yet. This was my first movie. And uh, I remember when my agent called me and he was like, hey, do you want to be in a movie with uh, Tom Hanks, directed by Steven Spielberg? And I was like, yeah, that'd be great. 
<laughs> what, what did he think your answer was going to be? No, can't possibly. I, Tom Hanks owes me money. Fuck that guy. But, you know, yeah. I mean, you know, there, there are times where in this business, and it's happened to me a handful of times, I must admit, and I, I, if this makes me sound cocky, uh, right to Eric Rubin is, uh, is that really legal? Uh, and, uh, and say, man, that guy sounded cocky. But there are times when I've, I've had so many auditions where I forget what I've auditioned for. So when he called me, I was just, I thought he was having a conversation. I'd forgotten that I'd auditioned for this movie. No, I can testify. Testify? I can, <laughs> I can second that because when I was full out acting in New York City, I kept, I diaried all of my auditions. And one year I had well over 200 auditions. Wow, now, that's awesome. not, I don't know if any of them were for film or TV. The vast majority were for theater. I mean, in New York, there's tons of theatrical stuff. And I really went for just about anything I might be close to, including a, a tons of summer stuff. And mm. there are, t one, one of the things, this is a sidetrack, but for actors who are listening, one of the advantages of New York is when there's not a pandemic, um, you can <laughs> go to three or four auditions in a day and probably still have time in your day to do stuff because even if, you know, most of the Broadway super duper stuff is auditioned for around Times Square near the, in the equity building or nearby. But then you might have some independent shows or whatever, and you may go once a couple of stops here or there. But for the most part, you can get there. Um, having done some stuff in Los Angeles, I can tell you more than two auditions is hard when one is in Studio City and one's in Burbank. And then there's another one in Santa Monica and you're yeah. driving and I, sorry, Los Angeles, you're beautiful, but your tra traffic is ridiculous. And <laughs> it's just uh, insane to drive, you know, put up with uh, some of the craziness of that stuff and then show up ready to give your best. I think it's just easier to be a New York actor. But anyway, so yeah. you so you did so many auditions. And by the way, most people should know, actors know it's a numbers game. We go, we do our best. But if you're going to stay sane, you don't hold on to the audition hoping you got it. You just got to keep moving forward onto the next audition. Years ago, uh, when I was doing commercials, I knew I didn't get the commercial when I saw it on TV and I wasn't on it. Because <laughs> they would produce them pretty quickly. I had a McDonald's audition where I was supposed to dress up in a lobster costume to, they were doing a lobster roll thing. And I thought I really nailed it. And I kept waiting to hear. And I thought, well, maybe they're going through some more of this. Whatever. And then, you know, two weeks later, there's another guy in the lobster costume. Yeah. Uh, Anyway, enough of my stories. So Tom Hanks, and they say, yes, you they say, say yes. I, I say, yeah, that'd be great. And he was like, okay, well, uh, it seems like it's shooting next week. And I was like, what's shooting next week? And he was like, the movie you auditioned for. And I was like, what are you talking about? I have no memory of this. And then he says, remember that movie where you auditioned for this part for a, a lawyer? And I was like, oh yeah. And he was like, well, they're not going to cast you as the lawyer, but they'd like for you to play this other part. They held on. They And that's the thing that, you know, really strikes me, and I've heard this about Steven Spielberg, is if he likes your audition, even if he doesn't cast you, 
he will hold on to your tape. And that's what happened. So he, he liked my tape enough where he was like, I want this guy to do this thing. Like you said, there were, there were no lines and it's just a few moments, but he knew what he wanted me to do. And, uh, and you know, when I got up on, when I got to set that morning, it was very, uh, like everything in my mind was like, I'm about to meet Steven Spielberg. Uh, I'm about to meet Tom Hanks. Uh, uh, it was like freaking out. And I was like, I am not, if I freak out about this, I'm going to screw everything. I've really got to, like, this is my job today. Yeah. My, this is my director. He's my director. This is my scene partner. He's my scene partner. And I just need to be here moment by moment to moment. And also, you know, one of the things I've learned about, uh, you know, for me being in the moment, I had a teacher tell me this years ago and it really has stuck with me. And I, I find it, I find it really true for performing is there's no ideal state to be in to begin acting. So this guy is feeling, who I'm playing is feeling whatever he's feeling in the scene. I don't have, I don't necessarily have to feel that. I just have to feel what I'm feeling and that will look like a person feeling. Which right. is what they which is what they want. So I don't have to be calm. I don't have to be now, I also do the work and I create the reality and the environment that is needed. But if I try to be different from my starting place, if I try to be cool when I'm really excited, when I try to be uh, you know, like all I have is cool. If I try to be cool when I'm like super nervous, then I'm just gonna, you know, be a be bumbling and fumbling all over myself. And you'll also, the thing about the camera is it can tell when people lie. Yeah. And it picks up, the, the, the camera can be your best friend or your worst enemy in that you cannot hide a thing. Uh, so you might as well be honest. Yep. And even if it's awkward, that can make, that can make the performance interesting. It's oh, like, yeah. then people will go, wow, he made a really interesting choice. And you might say in your head, I didn't make any choice. That's what was happening. But it was honest. <laughs> yeah. You know, you and I have something in common. I didn't realize this until literally this moment. I, Kate Capshaw was a producer on a movie that I was in, and I was a, a attorney, and I played opposite Tom Selleck. And um, it was a movie called The Love Letter. And... I had a non-speaking part and I was Tom Selleck's divorce lawyer in this scene. And uh, also Tom Everett Scott was in the movie and I shared a trailer with the two of them in the morning for makeup. And I couldn't believe I was standing for people who don't know Tom Everett Scott was in that thing you do is the drummer. And he was in boiler room and a bunch of other movies, uh, including La La Land. I think he's just a really great actor. And Tom Selleck was freaking Magnum. And um, <laughs> which, you know, I'm sitting there talking between takes, just chatting with Tom Selleck. And uh, they're real people. It's, I'm still get starstruck. I guess it's good that I'm not constantly talking to stars other than you. Uh, but, <laughs> but I do. I, I was like... Um, when Mr. Selleck was telling me 
that he wasn't feeling great and he thought he was going to get fired from the movie. It was his first day of shooting and something was up and he wasn't getting along great with the director or something. And he, he literally confided in me, maybe because I was an adult and dressed like a lawyer. And I am a lawyer, <laughs> playing a lawyer. He was like, I, I think I might get fired. And I was thinking, no one fires Magnum, do they? I mean, but like, you know, it's so who, you know, that's the other thing you could show up on set and you might have this preconceived notion about Spielberg, but you know, Spielberg still wonders if like the next movie is going to be the one where they decide he's not cool anymore and they're not going to fund things. I mean, he co-owns a studio. Imagine it, but that doesn't, nothing's a guarantee of anything. No. So we're all in this as kids looking like adults, but uh, so you get there and obviously you're, you meet these people who must be, I mean, how is that not thrilling? It's got to be. Oh, it was, I mean, it was totally thrilling. I mean, like, I think I've seen probably uh, every Steven Spielberg movie, uh, except for maybe the, the very early ones. I mean, he's just, he's just a genius. And, uh, and there's Tom Hanks, who I, uh, I, al- I always idolized. I mean, just, to, you know, and like, first Even of all, from Bachelor Party. Even from <laughs> Turner and Hooch. Dragnet? Uh, Dragnet with Dan Aykroyd and- Terrible, but excellent. So good, so bad, but so good. Volunteers. Volunteers. <laughs> I love John Candy in Volunteers. Oh my gosh. I mean, but, they, but also like, I mean, they were, first of all, I just have to say, they're both incredibly nice. And there's this, you know, they're both incredibly nice and they're both incredibly creative and collaborative. And it was beautiful to see there was this one moment where, uh, you know, I was just kind of overhearing the camera was on Tom Hanks and he was like, Hey Stephen, uh, I think you know as the camera's rolling after after this moment happens, I'm, I, I want to turn. I want to look out the window, and I think what I'm seeing is. And then he explained what he thought he was seeing in his head because mm-hmm. in the in the actual scene we're like on a subway in New York City. But he was like, I'm remembering this thing that I saw, and Stephen was like, Yeah, and what I think that's beautiful, Tom. And what are you like? What what is he? What specifically is he seeing? And they were just you know, riffing off of each other and creating, that, that was R2-D2. I th- <laughs> forgot to silent my phone. I love Star Wars. This is Andy Schneefluck, I love Star Wars. Um, and that's another thing we have in common, by the way, uh, people who may not know this, I have a Jedi symbol tattoo and uh, Empire Strikes Back is probably the most important movie I ever saw in my life. Not necessarily the best movie, but the, the most important because it set me on a trajectory which actually led me to a lot of really cool things, including you. But that's another story for another time. Well, but or, since or we're there later. really, but since we're there really quick, do you remember we, you and I watched Empire Strikes Back together one time? I think and, in my apartment. In your apartment. Awesome. And we were, and we were, you know, some of those scenes that, you know, cause you and I, it doesn't feel that way when we're together, but in reality, we're at different ages. Yes. Even though yes. you're one of my closest friends, we actually are different ages, which is weird. Uh, yeah. Thank you. I don't, I don't think of that. But um, we, I think, I think, Empire Strikes Back 
put us both on similar paths, seeing it at different times, seeing it as different people. It put us on the path that made us, that, that would eventually find us as friends. I mean, it's one of the things that created our commonality. I, I was certain when we were discussing the things in that movie that we both related to, I was like, damn, we're, are we the same person? Well, I mean, it's so, what's so great about that movie is first of all, Joseph Campbell, who's a fantastic writer. And uh, for those of you who aren't familiar with Joseph Campbell's work, he wrote a book called The Power of Myth. And uh, he also did a series of conversations on PBS about myth that if you can seek it out, it's so worth uh, looking at because he talks about really a distinction between mythology and religion, but he helped, the reason I'm mentioning him is George Lucas worked with him to create the mythology of the original Star Wars series. And that's why the story seems fantastic but familiar because it's not based on other mythologies, but it's informed by other mythologies. And there are some, you know, that we use this expression, the hero's journey, which he might've coined, but it, whether you're a native American or you're from uh, New Zealand, Maori people, or, you know, Christianity or Judaism, there are, uh, there are mythologies in these uh, cultures that are incredibly common uh, because we're all human beings. I think it's something on a genetic level, this need for a myth or the ability to relate through myth. Mm. Um, I don't know if you were a Star Trek fan. Yeah. Um, and yes, I know the difference between Star Wars and Star Trek. I lived <laughs> through them all, people. Don't write me about that. But when the second series, which was The Next Generation, came out, there was one particular episode where uh, our Star Trek cast came in contact with a new civilization they could not understand. The universal translator could translate the words, but there was something that just didn't make sense until they realized they were speaking um, in terms of metaphors and analogies based on a mythology. Um, Something about when the wall fell at Tanagra is the thing that I can remember. Uh, Darmark and Gillard at Tanagra. <laughs> See, I, between the two of us, we've got plenty of nerd action. Um, I also have a t-shirt in my bedroom that says that literally <laughs> I own. Oh my God, I didn't know that. Well, that's perfect. <laughs> uh, but you know how important, I'll, I'll segue it back. In both the things that we do, because, well, I'm an actor also, but not nearly as much as you. And as an attorney, whether it's in an appeals court or in a trial court, I need to be able to tell a story. It's based on facts and evidence, but there is a narrative. And more and more, by the way, people who do legal writing do seminars on how to make what they do relatable so it's not so technical, but truly tells a narrative story. Um, there's a hero, there's an anti-hero, there are dramatic confrontations. I mean, people love crime thrillers. Yeah. I just happen to sometimes work on real life crime stories, <laughs> but there are stories. And if you tell a story one way, 
you might be less um, sympathetic to a certain character. If you tell it another way, you can paint that character as extremely sympathetic. Um, so yeah, the, the way storytelling, mythology, Joseph Campbell, George Lucas, these are all intertwined. And of course, you know, George Lucas, um, Scorsese, and um, uh, Spielberg? Spielberg, yeah. To me, are the three guys of their, guys, really, three directors of their generation. Again, because I'm older, I remember when their movies started, their initial movies. So, you know, George Lucas had American Graffiti was really a breakthrough film for him, even though it wasn't his first. But I think it was his first mega hit. Um, and at the same time, you know, Spielberg had Jaws, which was, that's a whole other conversation. Someone could do a podcast on Jaws for several weeks because there's yeah. a lot of meat there. I don't know if you've ever had a chance, by the way. <laughs> that's funny. Um, a lot of meat there. <laughs> I'm going to leave it alone. Um, have you ever seen the movie Duel? Uh, I, oh my gosh. It was no, a TV movie. I've, I've heard of it. Harvey uh, Keitel? No. Spielberg uh, directed it. The, show, the movie has basically one person. Um, he was the guy who played McLeod. I can't remember his name now. But the story is this guy's a driver. He cuts off a truck driver. Oh, and yeah. Then, and that movie, my brother and I watched it when it was first on TV. Remember, there were no DVRs or even VCRs. You saw what was on TV, and you hoped it would come back again. But if it didn't, that was the only time you saw it. Oh I know, so people are like, how could you survive? Oh, I'll tell you something. It was a different world. <laughs> I am not saying that everything about the good old days was good. It's like, I love being able to see old shows again that I only saw once. And Duel has got to be available somewhere. I heard Spielberg say that every year, every year he rewatches Duel, because there are things he didn't even understand that he used when he shot it. And it informs him today, like on, in his storytelling, which I think is wow. very cool. Yeah, yeah well, a, it, it but like you're, like you're saying, like some a lot of that stuff is intuitive. Like we intuitive, you know, like the stories, the myth, uh, all of that stuff. Joseph Campbell is talking about, and that that we're talking about right now. It 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 is passed down generation through generation. The myth, the story, the you know, we, we intuitively know suspense, building good, evil, bad, right, wrong, uh, you know, most of us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we, so the election happened, it came and went, uh, we're going to be fine. I, I do want to ask you, um, I know that Steven Spielberg and Tom Hanks were nice to you on set, uh, yeah. but they're your stories. Is there anything specifically that you wanted to that you remember that was like, wow, that was really nice, or you know, there, like that. there were so many great memories from that day. Uh, the thing that I remember the most that I really uh, was taken by, it didn't really, uh, it, it wasn't really, you know, I could talk about something that was directed with me, but this actually happened with a, with a group of the, the background actors. And, uh, you know, we were getting one of the last shots of the day and, uh, you know, as I mentioned, these scenes, there were three different scenes we shot. They all take place on the subway. And uh, so we were, 
it was like a kind of a wide shot, which means it was focused on Tom Hanks, but you could see a lot of the, the environment and people around him. And uh, as we were, as they were shooting it, they were doing some setup and some rehearsals and Tom Hanks said, Hey, Steven, what do you think about if we, uh, you know, at one point we have like, we do a little jerk, like a little subway jerk, you know, I like a jerk sometimes. He said it differently. I'm not right. <laughs> quoting him. I'm not quoting him. Uh, he probably said <laughs> a, a lot subway jerk. Right, subway jerk in New York is not. Tom Where Hanks, if you're listening to this, I don't remember exactly what you said. I'm sorry for paraphrasing you. What do you mean wow. if? Uh, <laughs> no, you get jostled about on the subway. Jostled, yeah. Sure. And Stephen said, I, I, I don't, I don't know, I don't know, Tom. That, it could, it could look a little cheesy. And he was like, Tom Hanks said, you know, no, I think you can do it. And he turned and looked back at, at all these background actors. And he was like, you know, in background actors, they don't always get the time of day. You know, they don't always, they, sure. they often get overlooked. And, and Tom Hanks went back and he looked back at them all and was like, we can do this. We're all professional. Like, we got this. We know what we're doing. <laughs> and, and Stephen smiled, you know, very jovially. And he was like, okay. He was like, tell you what, we'll do a few, we'll do a few shots. We'll do a handful of shots normal and then we'll do one with a with a jostle and tom hanks says like well, cool cool we'll just try it so we we did all those shots and then we were gonna do the final shot and we were going to do the jostle and it was a rehearsal we had a rehearsal where it was just a little bit and you know mm -hmm. we just kind of let everyone do whatever they did and we were rolling and uh we were rolling and we were rolling and Stephen was like and jerk and everyone did the little like jerk and and mm -hmm. it's very very subtle from everybody we rolled for a few more seconds and they called cut and steven went that actually looked really great <laughs> and tom hanks tom hanks turned back to the background actors and he went we did it we did it and everyone cheered and that is the final shot of the movie oh wow that is awesome that's what they used that was the final shot of the film and it's just seeing when i saw the movie you know i was very excited it was a great, it's a great movie. I was very excited to see myself. I was very excited to see my name in the credits. But when I saw that as the final shot, I was moved to tears because it speaks to their collaboration, their partnership, their friendship, the, the, what they organically created on set in the moment together and included all of the cast and crew in that final moment. It, and it, it looks it looks just so natural and beautiful and real and it's I mean it just that that's my big takeaway from that day. Wow, I I want to remind people also that you didn't go to L.A. to do that. That was shot here in Brooklyn. By the way, people, you and I live within walking distance to to each other. We have not walked to each other's homes since the pandemic because we're not crazy, but. Um, we literally have been in each other's homes and walked the 10 minutes, 15 minutes. Yeah. Um, 10, 15 minute walk, yeah. And you're not the, I'm sorry, you're not the only movie star that lives in Brooklyn. Uh, regularly, I know regularly, I don't know if this, oh, we have talked about this. Um, we, you and I both run into other stars, some you've yeah. worked with. Uh, Mike Birbiglia, who has liked some of my stuff on Twitter, which is like, that'll make my day. If I say something funny, and he likes it. I'm like, Mike Rubiglia thinks I'm funny. Wow. Uh, you know, that kind of thing. Or I've held the door open for Carrie Russell from the Americans. Yeah. And Felicity, whatever. 
Um, and Star Wars, the the Rise of Skywalker. <laughs> now, by the way, um, she's a very bad person in the Americans. And once she started killing people with regularity, I haven't seen her, but I think I would be nervous to hold the door for her now because <laughs> she's scared. Like she's a very attractive woman. Um, she's not menacing in any way. She smiled when I opened the door at Blue Bottle Coffee uh, on Smith Street and Dean Street, for those of you who are Brooklyn people. Um, and her very handsome British husband, who also has worked with Tom Hanks and Steven Spielberg. Yeah. Um, uh, but they're scary as hell in that. Um, they're so and, good in that show. They're oh, I love The Americans. Uh, I think it's one of the most amazing things on TV. I, by the way, my first movie of, not crap, but like real movie, I was an extra and Brendan Fraser was the star. It was called Mrs. Winterbourne. And he was doing a scene with Ricky Lake on Boston Common. So they had to walk on Boston Common and talk to each other as if it was just another day. And I was walking with a woman and we were, had a little story that we were gonna go to a hotel and have an affair. Um, Cause we had to make it interesting for ourselves. Cause we were walking up and down the common for like an hour. Cause they couldn't get the shot. The reason they couldn't get the shot was Ricky Lake was in this as her first big movie uh, at, she came to notoriety because she was in um, Hairspray, the original movie with John Waters. Oh, wow. So, but she had a TV show called The Ricky Lake Show, which was like a very, how would I put this? Uh, it was like a tabloid kind of, not necessarily the most sophisticated show. And every time she walked in public, people would be screaming her name, hey, Ricky, like they just were in love with her. And so there we are in the movie, by the, like a big movie set. The director is a famous actor, not Richard Chamberlain. Uh, the, he was in Goodbye Columbus. Um, can't remember now, but I was sort of like in awe of the fact that he was directing and I was in the same space as this guy who I saw on TV and in movies all the time. Uh, I can't remember. Look it up for yourselves. I will say the only other time, <laughs> the only other time I was starstruck was very strange. I, I'm telling the story and I don't care. Um, so I was on the cutting room floor ultimately of a movie called State in Maine, which was a David Mamet movie. Um, and Philip Seymour Hoffman was in it and Alec Baldwin. I had a scene where I was a news reporter and I was in the lobby of the hotel and Philip Seymour Hoffman rushed by me and he stepped on my foot. And I, I, I'm still sorry that he's no longer with us. I forgave him for stepping on my foot. Uh, but David Mamet specifically said, what's your name? And I said, could you do me a favor, Eric? And he said, I want you to do this, this. So I got directed by David Mamet, which to me was a big thing. So we're in the middle of doing all of this. Alec Baldwin's not in this scene, but he was outside. This thing was an old mansion, which they made look like a New England hotel. And he's throwing a football outside with somebody else. And he just walks in to see what's going on. And he's Alec Baldwin. And even I am like, that is a very handsome man. <laughs> you know, that's a handsome man. I am with a couple of other 
you know, background actresses who are very professional and, you know, they're going to just do their job. It was like Frank Sinatra showed up and they were Bobby Sox girls. They could barely keep themselves from weeping, seeing Alec Baldwin so close, just kind of playing with a football in his hand, you know, like absentmindedly, like throwing a football yeah. to himself, talking to David Mamet for a minute and going back on it was just so otherworldly, Hollywoody kind of. Those are fun things for me. Like I, 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 I'm not a serious. Well, I, I, I'm not an actor like you. I had fun. And I did my thing. And if you ever need me, I'm happy to work with somebody. But you guys, I, I see. First of all, you're a teacher. I mean, here's a whole other thing. I love that you teach. And you don't keep the good stuff to yourself. Like you teach other people and want them to succeed. In our culture, that is so Jedi. <laughs> that is so not. <laughs> oh, thank you. Oh my so gosh. not how a lot of us think. A lot of people are coming from scarcity. And if I give it away, I lose. You know, life as a zero-sum game. I love that you're not like that. And I love that you also have students who are, you know, college age and about to really launch into career. And you have students who are five years old and you are giving them skills that are going to help them just be happier people. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, I, I like not to sound, uh, not to sound, uh, not to be like a, a Debbie Downer or a Douglas Downer, whatever you want to say. I like to be, uh, you know, uh, gender specific sometimes. Um, but, uh, you know, like when I, when I am teaching, you know, I, and this is the part where I, I feel a little bad saying this, but like a lot of people in acting, you know, I really admire you because you do so many things. You, you have so many plates and you aren't out of anything. Like you sometimes you, you're, you practice law, but you act, I've seen you, we've acted together very recently. Like you're not done acting. That's a thing that you do. Some people, they give it a go. And if they're, if they haven't won an Oscar in a couple of years, they're like, <laughs> I'm done. I'm never doing it ever again, which is fine. There's no problem. You know, everyone's path is different, but I do, when I teach, you're right. I, I don't hold anything back. Uh, I, I give, you know, if I would, if it's something that I felt has really helped me, I share it with my students. And at the end of the day, I realized that, you know, a lot of people will find another path and I hope that they can take the things that I've taught them of, of empathy, compassion, really listening to people. Uh, you know, I was, you know, I won't say any names in case this person is listening, but I was teaching this class today and we were just playing this warm up game and, you know, including this, this gentleman. And uh, he was like, he said, I'm sorry, I can't, I can't, uh, I can't do this. And uh, my training as an acting teacher, when I was in school, my training was like, well, then why are you here? <laughs> I, will, I have to admit, I have a prejudice that when you say I can't do it, you're just saying no and you know, see how well that goes when a director asks you to do something or a producer yeah. or your agent or another actor. It's like, 
but you know, I, he said, he said, I can't, I can't play this game right now. And it wasn't like, I don't want to play this game right now. He's like, I can't. And I was like, Hey, that's okay, man. And he, he started to hyperventilate and here we are on zoom. And I'm oh, like, God. I'm like, Hey, look at me, look at me, take a breath, breathe. And he got him calmed down. And without any prompting, he was like, I'm sorry, I missed class last week. Uh, my partner, uh, I found out they cheated on me and I, oh. I, and I, I'm not ready to do this work today. And I was just like, Hey, I was like, first of all, it takes a lot of guts to be here. Second of all, uh, it takes even more guts to share that in front of a group of people you barely know. And third, you do whatever you need. You need to stay. You, you need to go, go. You want to stay and watch people work, stay and watch people work. You want to work a little bit on what I assigned you. We will make room for you because at the end of like, at the end of the day, like, like, you know, uh, on the, on the one hand, you've got a great point. Like a director's not going to put up with that, but I'm, I'm not directing this guy. It's not an audition. Right, right. It's, it's, it's a class, you know? And like, and he's, you know, this right now, the world we are in is the nation that we're in is just, you know, we won't go into it, but it's so divided. And I just want to be like, Hey, I don't know what you're dealing with. We're working on Zoom. We're not in the studio. It's totally different. Let's let's just do what we can today, and and we'll go from there. You know, and, I'm not that guy, so I'm not upset in this moment. But <laughs> I would say a lot of times when I was acting, and I would be doing a gig or in a 13 run week of a show or something. How great was it to have a place where I could go and put my life in a closet and go on stage and be, have all my attention on my fellow actors and audience and all that other stuff so that I could forget my personal crap. You know, that's well, a real that's, gift. That's what he did. I mean, I was so impressed. He sat, I was like, he said he wasn't going to work. And I was like, cool, just hang out, watch. You'll learn something from watching. And by the end of the class, he was like, can I, can I work? And I was like, yeah. Awesome. It was very, it was very, it was a cool, uh, and he did, he did really great work too. I mean, well, was, you're a lot less judgmental than I am. <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, really like it's, it's different. This class was more of like, it, you know, and of course it's different. It, it, everything is different, but in this particular class it was like, this is an exploratory class. We're exploring things. There's no end product. However, on the other hand, I have been, I've had my fellow colleagues go, damn, you're a badass. Because if you tell me you want to be an Oscar winner in two years and you you show up to my class and you go, oh, I didn't read the play, which character am I playing? I'm going to go, leave, get out. I don't want you here. You're wasting everybody's time, including your own. And when you're ready to do something, I'm ready to see you. You know, but what's, a, you know what's a really great movie that this reminds me of, which is sort of like, there's a Jedi quality about it, and there's a transformational quality about it. Bull Durham. I've never because, seen that movie. Oh, okay. See, so this is an assignment. Okay. You need to see Bull Durham. See it with your wife, because there's a very sexy, there's some sexy stuff in this movie. And it's a great, like, once it's over, it's time for bed. I don't care, <laughs> I don't care what time it is. I know your wife. She'd be okay with me saying that. She would be totally um, fine. And I think that... um. Well, first of all, Susan Sarandon, who, especially mm. in this movie, is super sexy. And, um, uh, uh, oh, Dances with Wolves. What's his name? Oh, uh, Kevin, Kevin Costner. Costner. So 
he's kind of a washed up baseball player and running around the minor leagues. And I'm not ruining this for you. And the new pitcher who's super hot, he's got to train him to be a professional ball player. And so if you've ever seen any of these old movies where an ancient samurai guy trains a new guy and teaches him discipline and gives him all these lessons or whatever, it, it feels very much like that. Um, I don't want to say anymore. I really think you should see Bull Durham. If you've seen Bull Durham and you agree or disagree with me, go to my website, isthatreallylegal.com and write me a note. You'd be amazed at the number of people who write me. Uh, I'll say your name on my podcast. Oh, I'll, I'll see if I could give you some Abe's muffins. What? We'll see. Oh, yeah. No, well, not not you. I mean, but uh. people who, sorry. I'd love to have it that um, people could come live to do a podcast and they'd get like some Abe's muffins as part of the deal of coming. Uh. Uh, but yeah, not not right now. Nobody's nobody would get would take the food from me. You would, uh, yeah. Unless it was like in a super space age sealed container. <laughs> and you were in a hazmat suit. Yeah, it's just, I miss hugging people. Do you miss hugging oh, people? Oh, man. Yeah, me too. You know, it's like, you know, it's funny. I We see people, you know, my wife and I, we see people a lot. We see you at least once a week, sometimes twice, in, mm. you know, in the seminars we talked about. Uh, we, um, we, we play games weekly. Uh, I see people quite a bit, but not in person. I think I can count on one hand how many friends I've seen in person since March. And I also used to, you know, there were, there would be weekends cause you know, I would teach and I would act and I, I, and my life has been very busy. Uh, it still is, but you know, with before COVID it was very busy, just kind of getting from appointment to appointment. And there would be days where I would be like, I'm not leaving Brooklyn today. <laughs> not, not I remember. Yeah, right. Because I had my office in Lower Manhattan that I would go yeah. to like a regular person, yeah. and then and now it's very rare that I'm in Manhattan. Brooklyn, for people who don't know this area, Brooklyn is or was for a while sort of the commuter bedroom neighborhood. Most right. of the people that live in Brooklyn commute to Lower Manhattan because it's very yeah. convenient. Maybe Midtown or even higher, but. Lower Manhattan is literally, uh, I don't know about your roof, but if you go on my roof, you see the Statue of Liberty and Brooklyn Bridge, and it's all right downtown. We've walked across the Brooklyn Bridge. Yeah. My wife, and yeah. Both ways. Like at the end of a day of work, when it's a beautiful day, it's like, let's just walk across the bridge like a couple of tourists, you know, and walk home that way. Uh, now there's no tourists. Yeah. So, but yeah, you're, you're right. So now it's like, we never leave Brooklyn. We never like, leave our homes. There are other boroughs? Wait, <laughs> what are you talking about? I know. You and I have friends in other boroughs, and uh, we mock them because they're not as cool as Brooklyn. And <laughs> that's fine. Uh, it's fine. If you live in Queens, that's cool, I guess. We're talking about you. It's fine. <laughs> it's cool. It's fine. But do and Wendy, I love you, but it's Queens. Come on. And I'm not even <laughs> talking. And we have friends in the Bronx. My parents grew up in the Bronx, so there's only so much crap I can give them. We're also yeah, well, shocking. Uh, well, no, no, I'm not from there. My parents. Are well, from if there. they're from there, if they're from there, it's part of your roots, right? Sort of. But what's interesting is my people first landed in Brooklyn, believe it or not, Coney Island. Oh. 
on my oh, mom's really? side. Yeah. Oh, and cool. other parts of Brooklyn. Yeah, we all started, both wings of my family started in Brooklyn. I did some research. Uh, cool. Yeah, I know. It is pretty cool. Um, and I love Brooklyn. And I love running into friends. And as I was saying before, uh, I was about to say, when you go into Manhattan at the touristy kind of places, a couple of weeks ago, maybe a month or two ago, I went to the museum, Metropolitan Museum, because it just reopened. And so you yeah. have to, you have to sign up for a time. They limit the amount of people. You have to distance. You have to scrub everything, whatever, you know. Um, and so I met a couple of friends. My wife and I met some friends who you know. And then we went out to dinner. It was outdoor, you know, distant, whatever. Um, and I understand if that's too much for some people or not enough for other people. But when we were on Fifth Avenue at Museum Mile, as we call it here, which is the base is really Metropolitan Museum, it was empty. Because there are no tourists. We're the tourists now. I am the tourist now. <laughs> so, yeah. like, and so it was empty. Then when you go toward like Second Avenue, where all the restaurants are on the east side, it's packed. Because all the New Yorkers are hanging out because that's all they can do. They're not going anywhere. Yeah. And this summer, we went to Long Island to go to a hotel just to have a swimming pool experience. And it was really hard to book because New Yorkers who, like us, would have been going to Europe or the West Coast or somewhere else, we're all just getting in our cars and going out to Long Island. That's like as fuck. That's the end of the earth. Yeah. Beyond that, there's dragons. I gotta, I got, I gotta tell you, I gotta shout out to a buddy of mine. Uh, I don't want to say his name because uh, I don't want to throw, I don't want to say too much information. But uh, he's a good friend of mine, and uh, he and his wife, around the middle of uh, beginning of COVID, they they both have family in Vermont, so they went to Vermont. They've been in Vermont for this whole time, and so oh, okay. a lot, a lot is not happening back here. They are staying in Vermont for a while. And he, we were talking the other day and he was like, yeah, we, we rented a house up here, a full house. And I was like, oh, wow, you rented a house. That's great. And he was like, yeah, we've got three floors. We've got a yard all to ourselves. I was like, so you're renting it? How much are you, you paying in rent? And he was like, $1,000 a month. And I was like, for a <laughs> three floor house? I was like, are you in your bedroom or your office? He's like, no, this is the extra bedroom. I'm in the extra bedroom right now. I'm like, what are you talking? For people who don't understand why Andy is incredulous, um, <laughs> I want my wife, well, this is a condo, so I won't go into ownership and expense, but let's just say that I know people who are renting one bedrooms and spending close to $3,000 in yeah. my neighborhood. Yeah, in this neighborhood, absolutely. Um, and and by the way, part of that when they started doing it was because it was convenient to Manhattan. <laughs> <laughs> now, to be fair, it's also because there's a lot of great stuff here in Brooklyn. I mean, we have a couple of really great parks. There's Brooklyn Bridge Park, and then up the other side of the hill, if you want to call it Park Slope, there's Prospect Park, which is a beautiful park. And there's lots of great restaurants and mm -hmm. what have you. Yeah. Of course, none of us are really going out except maybe to the sidewalk or getting takeout. I love the Thai place you turned me on to. Never went there except once we went there, you and I and your and um, Leah. And now we get takeout from there a lot. Um, yeah. Because I, 
You know what? If they if they want me to say their name, they can pay me. Um, I, Just I, like Abe's like, muffins. <laughs> exactly. What's weird is that we've been talking a very long time, and it feels like I barely scratched the surface of you. Um, you and I will be talking to Leah, your wife. Do you? Did you ever run into the law in any way that would be interesting and not embarrassing? Uh, interesting and not embarrassing. I'm sure I have. Um, I, I think this is probably a really lame story. Uh, but when I, um, maybe it's not as lame as I think now that I'm remembering the details, but, um, I, uh, when I first, you know, I've lived in Carroll gardens, the neighborhood we live in for quite a while before I knew my wife and we lived in this apartment, I lived in a different apartment just a few blocks away. And, um, I was very young, maybe, you know, uh, 25, 26. And I had, uh, I had thrown something out. Don't I walked right. by your old apartment a lot because it has that sign like on, on this oh, date yes. on 1870 something where nothing happened. Yeah. I'm not going to give the address because I don't want people to know where I live, but it's close to where I live. Anyway. And this reminded me, I, I have another story. So I'll, I'll tell you this and then I'll tell you the other one that I'm a little more incredulous about. This one's probably not as interesting, but I threw something out and the next morning I woke up and there was a, there was a ticket on my door. Apparently I had, I had, put it out wrong. I put it out wrong somehow. And so there was a fine I had to pay and uh, I could have contested it. And I, I don't know, but I also felt that uh, my landlords, um, I don't know. I was very scared of my landlords. So I just, <laughs> and I also, it could have been my fault, but it could have been someone else's fault. I just took it and paid it. <laughs> I was like guilty. I did this. How much was it? I can't remember, maybe a hundred, hundred fifty bucks. Sometimes though, paying that is so much cheaper yeah. than the can of crap you open by causing difficulties. I'm not suggesting people shouldn't fight for their rights, but sometimes I've told people as a lawyer, if you sue or you contest things or whatever, you're now in a relationship. Yeah. And yeah. it's usually a bad relationship. The thing that the thing that I'm still incredulous about, and I will admit here in in I will admit that I I was wrong and I broke the law. Uh, so oh, I, I, I know. Is this a subway thing? No, no, no. Uh, this is not a subway thing. This uh, is a this is a this is a cycling thing. This is a bike biking uh, thing. I was I was cycling. I might have told you this. I was cycling to the city. Uh, I had just, it was a few years back and I was like really getting into cycling. So I was cycling into the city and I was heading to the Manhattan Bridge. I was here in Brooklyn, heading to the Manhattan Bridge. And I was going down to the Manhattan Bridge and I was at a stoplight. Now the light was red, so I shouldn't have gone through the stoplight. And I had stopped, mm. but there was, there was one way that cars could cross the bike path and uh, and there were no cars coming and the entrance had also been barricaded off. So nothing was going to like concrete barricaded off. So right. nothing was going to come out and I could clearly see nothing was coming in and it was a downhill kind of a thing. So I just let go of the brakes and went past the light as many people were doing. <laughs> My life was not excuse. Huh? I, I'm fine with it. I was not the only one. There were people on scooters and bikes also going through and then just kind of parked on the side, one of those little traffic vehicles. Right. And I was like, ah, oh, this is about what I just did. And sure enough, it was. 
and I got a ticket for running that light where there was, I was in the wrong, but there was no danger. And I got a $243 ticket. Oh, brutal. And I paid it. I paid it. I felt, uh, you know. You're a big shot. Wow. Next time, call me. I mean, I can't yeah. promise anything, but God. Oh, well. I, I, yeah. I mean, Look, you know, and the truth is, is like, I knew that I was in the wrong. So I. I, I hear you. I, I hear you. Look, it's important. I just want to tell everybody, be safe. First of all, don't argue with the police. Okay. It's, it's never a good idea, but it's especially not a good idea now. And uh, <laughs> yeah. be safe. You know, people love you. Yes. I don't know why, but they do. I know why people love you, Andy Schneeblatt. We are way over time. I may edit Oh my gosh, wow. Not. I really want to thank you for being on Is That Really Legal? I, you're one of my favorite people, and this was so much fun, so thanks for being on. I, it, was a, it was a pleasure to be here. I love you, Eric Rubin. I love this podcast, and uh, uh, I just, it, like, any time to hang out with you and spend time with you is always a treat. That was Andy Schneeflock. I promised you that he would be interesting. Um, he's also just a really nice, generous, lovely man. Uh, he's been a good friend. He's a fantastic actor, a great teacher. If you have questions about me, the show, my guests, or Abe's Muffins, or anything, I'll answer anything. Go to the website, isthatreallylegal.com. Leave me a message happy to respond to you continue to listen you're going to hear more great guests from literally all over the world from right down the street in brooklyn to uh paris france to parts of england uh, we spoke to someone recently from basel switzerland there's a lot going on in the world we're getting there folks take care of each other take care of yourselves wear a mask stay healthy be well. Talk to you soon.